0: Hey, good morning, church. Um, my name is Brian Dawkins, and if you were here last Sunday, uh, when doing communion, uh, they call me the elderly. So, I appreciate that. So cool. I didn't know, I haven't had to send it to me, a picture. I think Pastor Jeff sent me a picture, too. Anyway, um, do I feel elderly? Yeah, I kind of do sometimes. So, hey, Pastor Stephen did a great job last week, I felt, of just you know, introducing... Uh, introducing this series that we're on and it's called head games and I get to do the second message so how many of you believe the Holy Spirit talks to you yeah so the Holy Spirit will talk to you Some, a lot of times I found the Holy Spirit is talking to me during the message and so I take notes you might if you don't do that you might want to start grab your phone write it in your notes because sometimes those thoughts that cross your mind are not just your thoughts they're God thoughts So one of the key verses for me in, in head games, and at a point in my life it was this huge aha moment, was in Romans chapter 12, verse two. It says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God." what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we're, what that verse is saying is we're interpreting life through the lens of God's Word, not just our experiences, our preferences, our opinions, or the opinions of others. What does God say? Because the reality is we cannot always trust ourselves. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Sometimes we don't even understand ourselves. And we struggle and we have difficulties. So this verse says that if you, if you do this, if you're transformed, you renew your mind. And we know scientifically now that, can, that happens. We can do that. This is not just allegory hypothetical this is this can actually literally occur in your life that if you do that that then you can test and you can discern what the will of God is how many want to know what the will of God is and what is good and acceptable and perfect isn't that what we want the reality is that we're human and we're complicated Can I admit that I'm complicated? Uh, My wife, Cindy, is here today. She would tell you. She would confirm that I'm complicated. And sometimes, I don't know why I'm feeling or doing, and I have to assess and look back and ask the Holy Spirit sometimes, uh, why am I what I am? My wife is complicated. I know. It's hard to believe, but... Now, her opinion is a little different than mine, but uh, she's complicated. And how many of you know, I didn't know this before I got married, but I've I've since found out, been married for 40 years, that your wife has the the right and the ability, and she will, change. So, I have been married to at least four different women, and... (laughs) I think I'm going on number five right now. It's it's a true story. She will admit she's changed. What she liked yesterday, she may not like tomorrow. We are complicated. We may not even understand ourselves. So 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive. Wow, that's a powerful verse. The strongholds, what this verse is telling us is in our our thoughts, in our opinions, our minds. The battle, and there is a battle, is right here. It's in our minds. That's where the battle's at. That's where the battle wars and rages. And there's reasons for it. We, do you know that even like your birth order can affect who you are, how you act? There's been books written about firstborn, secondborn, middleborn, lastborn, baby child, and, and their personality types. And it's crazy how accurate it is. I have three children, they fit the profile exactly first, middle, last. And I marvel at that. Why Why is that? It's not just genetics. I have twin sisters, identical, identical twin sisters. They were born five minutes apart. The older has the classic older first child by the book, five minutes. The younger, the classic younger sister, I mean, it just crazy how does that happen i don't i don't get it but it does your parents what they believed where you where you were born where you were raised where you went to school who your friends were what your belief systems were who you hung out with what you did choices you made we make choices we're young we're stupid we make stupid choices but sometimes there's consequences of those things later in life we're complicated. We're created as emotional beings. How I many of you know we're emotional? I, I watched a movie years ago. I went with my friends. I really didn't want to go see this movie. It was like 40 years ago. Like 70s. <laughs> scary. That was the last century. <laughs> I didn't really want to go because it was kind of one of those scary, scary movies. and But my friends were going. I kind of liked the fellowship and And I I can't remember names of movies to save my life, but I remember the name of that movie: The Invasion of the Body (laughs) Snatchers. Yeah, so there's like snow falling, and then they would turn into they grow into pods, like huge, gigantic zucchini. That's what they look like. (laughs) Every time I grow zucchini, I think of that movie. (laughs) Scary. and when you fell asleep these pods would grow up next to you and they'd take over your body and you'd wake up and there'd be a body that looked just like you but it was inhabited by an alien and so the very end of the movie what impacted me was that there's like two people left that hadn't been invaded because they're trying to stay awake and it pans on the park and and the streets and there's all these people they're just walking around but they're like zombies there's no emotion there's no laughter, there's no talking, there's no ups, there's no downs, there's nothing. And I mean, there's just walking aimlessly. And I've just been a Christian like a year or two, and I'm thinking, wow, that that impacted me. Because like, that's not human. No emotion. That's not human. We're created for emotion. Those, if you're feeling alienated, because you don't have any emotion... Listen, that's not human. God's created us to have emotion. And yet sometimes we like to put labels on, you know, well, that's actually not a good emotion or, you know, we, we want to downplay, but we have to learn how to deal with our emotions. And I really believe that my core, my, what, I, what I really want to convey today is that mental health is every bit as complicated as we are the genetics the hormones the chemicals the stuff that happens in our body we don't even understand the natural defense mechanism that god built up we have society who has an agenda multiple agendas and are trying to trying to shape how you think and feel and are trying to and are and are not after your own best interest. in there, and they they may even believe it because there's strongholds, there's strongholds in our mind, and we'll we'll even have strongholds and belief systems that we believe are true and they're not, and we have to be open to renewing of our mind, because we have <clears throat> we have life that is not perfect. We're dealing with this flesh nature that's born into sin, and it has, and we're. We're being regulated by all kinds of things that we just don't understand. I could, I could give you all kinds of stories and personal things that, that happened to me just out of the clear blue. It's like, whoa, what was that? I know it's chemicals, but I'm trying to rationalize my head because I'm a doctor. I'm a veterinarian. So I, I know medicine, but it's still happening to me. <clears throat> and there are thousands of events in our life. And, I, and one of my, I, I have to say this, one of my pet peeves is, is, is I love science, but I don't like False science. In fact, I really hate false science because it just really bugs me. And what really bugs me is when false science um, is against what God says. Because God's the author of science. It's a reality. And the fact of science is a theory and then trying to prove it. And nobody can prove God, so they just discard them before they even start and trying to prove stuff. And so the Bible in Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven, the earth. What's happened is it even crept into the church. The science says, No. No, it's millions of years, billions of years, and the dinosaurs died way, you know, millions of years ago, and all this stuff. And and we buy into it, and what happens, I think, is that we start to maybe doubt the word of God a little bit because wow, the first chapter's all wrong. And <clears throat> so how could we what else is wrong? What else is it? Well, maybe it's just pictorial. We start to make excuses uh, because we bow to science and we say, well, it's science. It is science after all. Well, it must be true. And the reality is it's not. It's not true. Evolution is not true. Can I put your minds at rest? Evolution is not true. God created the heavens and the earth and he did it exactly the way he said he did it. He spoke to Moses face to face. Moses wrote it down. God's not a liar. God's the truth mathematically impossible for evolution to be true mathematically impossible <clears throat> so but what happens is the reason is still around is because the only other option to evolution is creation that is the only other option you cannot think of another option it's evolution we're here by chance slime and the scientists say well oh the christians got it all wrong they think we're they think we're saying that you're descended from monkeys and it's like oh, no, we're not saying that. We're, you're, we're saying you're descended from a common ancestor. So you have this common ancestor up here, and there's monkeys here, and there's humans here. But nobody knows where that common ancestor is at. And I feel so much better already. Don't, you feel better? <clears throat> yeah. Hey, I'm not descended from a monkey. I'm just descended from its grandma. So... <laughs> So, we have society and all the pressures and all the stuff and all the lies, and and some of it, and listen, there's a lot of good things in life, right? And then we have the Bible tells us we're a spirit man, that we have spirit because we're made in the image of God. He's spirit. And so, uh, and then when we get saved, we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes into our life, amen. And the, the Holy Spirit is signified as oil in the Bible. And if you think about that, I was thinking about this myself, is that oil. And our flesh is water, almost 95% water or something of that nature. And so water and oil just don't mix that good. So there's enmity between the flesh and the spirit. And it starts very young. And so we have, we have all this stuff that happens in our life and the natural. And now we have the spirit and it's that conflict with the flesh. And we have, we're just being assaulted. And then you throw in the devil. And the devil, listen, if you don't believe in the devil, you need to believe in him because he's very active, <clears throat> he's not stupid, and he's not without power. He's, he's, very, he's very wily, the Bible tells us, and he knows a lot about you. He may not know your thoughts, but he knows about everything else about you, and he will use that against you. He's miserable, and he loves misery, misery loves company. He wants you to be miserable, and he hates you in the worst possible way you can't even imagine because you're a Christian, he hates you with passion. And he's got all his little minions, and they're trying to make your life miserable. But he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. So we, we don't have to fear him. We don't have to want him. But what happens is we, if we bow to the flesh and we don't listen to our spirit <clears throat> or we ignore it because we want our flesh nature, we make choices and it opens up doors for the enemy to attack the enemy to get a foothold, the enemy to affect our lives. The enemy can have an impact on us. So sometimes it's our own choices. Jesus came and he said, what, he was the word made flesh. So Jesus is the word of God. And Jesus came in grace and truth. And he said, the truth will set you free. What's the truth? It's the exact opposite of the devil. The devil's a liar, and he's always been a liar. And so we need to know what truth is. And we need to be able to discern that. And that's what Romans twelve two says we can do if we transform our minds. We can begin to discern what's the devil, what's our flesh, what's the Holy Spirit. We need to know that because my core value is that. I want to learn how to live this life. I don't think that it's always that we just get delivered from one prayer, or two prayers, or ten prayers, we hit the easy button, and bam, we're just magically perfect. Because that's, that just isn't reality for me. Reality for me is that every day I have a battle, and so every day it's prayer. And it's not just magic deliverance. Now, yes, there are things that only God can fix, there are diseases, there are, you know, sometimes there are people that are demonically oppressed or they have demons in them, and they need to be cast out. You need to be delivered. Uh, Pastor Robert Morris, I love what he said, you cannot disciple a demon, and you cannot cast out the flesh. So you have to, you have to deal with the flesh, and you get rid of the demon, okay? But there's both, Mental health is multifactorial. It's not one size fits all. It's not everybody's got a demon that's mentally depressed. It's not everybody, you know, made bad choices. It's probably both a little bit. You know, bad choices, let the devil in, not thinking correctly, stinking thinking, and we just got to get, but there's hope because we have the word of God, and we have Jesus, and we have the Holy Spirit. So I want to tell a story, it's a true story, and uh, it took me, I went through one Kleenex and I should have had three by the time I was done. Now I I have three now. So anyway, about 1995, my wife, Cindy, she started experiencing uh, depression on a regular basis and kind of kept it from us for a few years. And then I was going to the doctors, getting medications and then confessed and uh, just talked to me about it, and so we prayed. And she went to doctors, and she was she had clinical depression for thirteen plus years, and and it was bad, and it was getting worse. And the doctors helped her. She got counseling. She got prayed for. We had the elders and pastors come to our house and pray over her home, pray over her multiple times, and yet no real no real deliverance. And medications helped. Medications kept her. Uh, more plateaued. But it gets difficult in relationships. She's looking for she's looking for joy. She's looking for happiness. It's not there. And so pretty soon, uh, you know, your spouse is the, <clears throat> the recipient of, well, you're not making me happy. You're doing the wrong thing. And yeah, probably was. But uh, we realized that, of course, there's more to it than that. And the enemies at work and choices. She would tell you that choices she made in her life and also her personality. Certain personality types are more prone to depression. Perfectionists are more prone to depression. uh, Certain professions are more prone to depression and suicide. Uh, Interestingly, the health professions. Medical doctors, psychiatrists, number one. Dentists, number two. Police officers, number three. Veterinarians. Number four, the very very professions that are in the helping, help people, are the ones that have some of the highest suicide rates. And suicide is just the tip, the very tip of of the iceberg, and there's so much more going on below that, that affects, really if you're honest, probably every one of us have had some effects of mental health issues at some point in time or another, grief. Losing a, losing a loved one, being really sick. All those things can can cause craziness to reign in our lives, and we don't always know what to do. So she's she's struggling. She's getting worse. It's uh, probably closer to the end of the 13 years. She's suicidal. She's starting to write notes to her kids, to her grandkids, to me when she's gone. <clears throat> and, and we're not getting along, and there's a point in time where it's like, Man, I don't know if we're going to make it. My Lord, I don't know if we're going to make it. And so, but she, being OCD like she is, I don't know. See, I just labeled her. I shouldn't do that. But being her personality like she is, she bought a tape, a cassette tape on eBay, and it was called the Prayer Jabez for Women, and it cost her six dollars. And so she saw it sitting there, and she thought, you know, I, because I'm just, I want to be, I want to be, I don't want to, you know, like waste God's money, or I want to be, uh, what's the word? I just want to be responsible. I should listen to that before, you know, I do anything. And so she she started listening to it. It It's cassette. Flip it, listen to it, flip it, listen to it, flip it, listen to it. She listened to it for two weeks. She listened to it all day. She listen to it all night, I know you say, "How does she do that i, I don 't know how many times I woke up in one night I hear the cassette go off. I hear her roll over, flip the tape, put it back on i mean twenty four seven for two weeks at the end of two weeks, she had a glimmer of joy it 's like out of nowhere, and then the next day a little more and a little more and a little more, and then so she 's still listening to that, and then she 's getting other things she 's getting scripture and she 's listening to scripture. Uh, the prayer of Jebiah has a lot of scripture in it. She's listening. She, she got the book, Joy Battle Battlefield of the Mind. She started listening to that. And then she started to understand what was happening from that book and scripture. She's renewing her mind. She's filling her mind with all this stuff. And it says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, what's left? Nothing. Think about these things. You you have to, here's the key, you have to activate. You can get all the education in the world, you can read the books, if you don't do something... It's not going to work. Have to do something. You can listen to this message today. If you, don't, if, it, if you don't activate, it's not going to help you. Have to activate. Think on these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. That's the promise of God. Practice these things. So my personal go-to, um, I like to read the Psalms. If I'm, if I'm struggling and dealing with something or relationships, the Psalms are helpful for me. I read scripture. I read the Psalms. I pray. I, found, I have found something in my life that when it comes to relationships, that prayer has always taken front and center with God. I have found that when I pray about a relationship, that God's right there to begin to answer it. That's just what I found. I believe it'll be true for you. I listen to music, worship, praise. This my spirit. Even King Saul, Holy Spirit left him. Music helped calm his spirit and helped the, the devil leave. I do this too. I remember, I remind myself, I purposely, intentionally, I remind myself what God has done for me. I learned a long time ago from my first pastor to build an altar. God does something for you, build an altar. Make a a memory. It could be little. God has done so many just little things. He's helped me fix my car. Wow, but God's so busy. Why would he do that? Well, he's omnipotent. (laughs) He's not not busy as we think of busy. He'll help you with the silliest little things. And I make an altar, and I remember. And I remember what he's done for me because I know that he's still there. What he's done behind me, he's going to do before me. And that I can move forward in peace. You know, when Pastor Jeff gives me, uh, I send out the preaching schedule, and it's like, I don't know, the beginning of January or something like that, and so I'm preaching in March. Oh, no problem. March, that's two months away. No problem. But three weeks ago, I'm starting to think, I'm starting to get a little sweaty, a little little anxious. It's like, you know, because what? Public speaking is one of the biggest fears of Americans today, right? And uh, maybe it's not my biggest one, but it's pretty close. So it can be stressful. I have to remind myself listen, God has never failed me, ever, ever. So I, and so this is the other thing I do I say, God, this is your deal. So I remind Him of His promises to me. You can do that, but you need some promises from Him. You need to, there's scripture promises. I had a prophetic word over our lives, 1989, over Cindy and I. It's the pastor who's coming this weekend. He's a very gifted man. He's an amazing man of God. If you can make room in your schedule, you want to come and listen to him. It's awesome. He, he prophesied over me. The very first person who ever lay hands on me prophesied, read my mail, told me I was going to be a preacher, and that's why I'm here today. So I blame him and God. But I'm telling you, I would not. You couldn't get me on this platform if I hadn't had a word from God. No way would I be up here. It wouldn't have happened. It just wouldn't have. So the word can come prophetically. It can come in a vision. It can come in a dream. Uh, The Holy Spirit might drop something in your heart, your mind. Don't discount that. It's important. So there's the rhema word, the Holy Spirit. Um I love seeing God glorified in the in the earth. I love it. I love creation because it glorifies God if you just look. So here's a really cool story, and it, it actually ties in, I think, to maybe giving you some hope, some encouragement. Um because God is here, you know, we, we look at scripture and we look at things, well that was Paul. That was King David. You know, that was Elijah. He's a prophet, mighty prophet of God. Uh, what about me? God can speak to you and give you a of word. And I believe he wants to do that for everybody multiple times in my life. And sometimes when I'm not expecting it. Sometimes when I'm just praying. So about the beginning of February, I was watching the local news. I was to him. And they made this announcement that they were going to be starting a series on Cooper Cup. And it was going to be starting that day, that night. And Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup. Dang, what is Cooper Cup? I thought, hmm, I don't know what Cooper Cup is. I think I've heard of the Stanley Cup, but I don't know what Cooper Cup is. So so I got my curiosity piked. And so um, a little later in the program, that Cooper Cup. Oh, Cooper Cup's a dude. He's a person, and that's his name. So I was like, wow, okay, that's cool. Well, he's a local kid, and he raised in Yakima and graduated from high school. Well, what, the reason they're doing a series is because he's a wide receiver for the L.A. Rams, and they're in the Super Bowl this, this year, a month ago, right? And so they're doing a series because he's a local kid. He's from Yakima, and when he graduated from high school, nobody was looking at him. Nobody. He was not on anybody's radar to play football in college. Somehow he gets hooked up with Eastern Washington University, right over here in Chena. Small, small school. Small school, but um, great football program. He, he works hard. He excels. He gets awards. He gets drafted into the NFL out of EWU. Amazing. That's just amazing in and of itself. And nobody really expected him to like, go very far or you know, be very great. I mean, he's he's just a normal guy, and but he's a Christian. He's a Christian. I didn't know that. So I'm sitting down to watch the Super Bowl, and all of a sudden, they're talking about Cooper Cup, and they're saying, wow, he just got the offensive player of the year for the whole NFL. Offensive player of the year. Wow, Cooper Cup, EWU. Defensive player of the year, the whole NFL. In fact, he accomplished some things that season that no, nobody previously in NFL history had accomplished. Jerry Rice, I mean, great wide receiver. He's a wide receiver. And so, um, so I'm watching the game, not because I like the LA Rams. I'm watching for him. And because I've, I've developed an interest in him. And the first three quarters, like nothing, not really much. He's out there, but he just couldn't get break loose. And then the last quarter, things start happening. He makes a run that gets him a first down. He got a couple, got a couple passes and he gets the, the winning reception in the last minutes of the game. And so, uh, wow, that's really cool. And then, so normally that's where I turn the TV off. And I'm just like, oh, that was cool. That was awesome. But um, I wanted, but he gets MVP of the game, wide receiver. So only eight people in the history of the Super Bowl, 56 years, have received MVP because normally it goes to the quarterback, maybe a a runner. But so he gets it. Wow, that's really cool. This kid's from EWU. Nobody saw this coming. They had no idea he had this kind of talent while he worked hard. And then, so they're interviewing him, and all of a sudden, he, he tells this story that is jaw-dropping. How many of you heard it? Wow. Okay, right there. Well, I'm glad we're sharing it today, because it's amazing. So he's being interviewed, and he's giving God the glory. You know, admiration for his family, his wife, all they had to put up with, his coach, and previous coaches, all the stuff you do, Right. And then he says, listen, in 2019, when the LA Rams was at the Super Bowl and they lost that game, and Cooper Cup was drafted in 2016, but he had an ACL injury, and he didn't play in that game. And they're leaving the field, and you can imagine the emotions, and he said, right before he goes down the tunnel, he stops, and he turns around and looks at the field, this is on national TV. And they're interviewing him. And he says, God gave me a vision. We're going to be back. We're going to win the Super Bowl. And I'm going to be MVP. Wow. (laughs) Only God can do that. He didn't tell anybody except his wife. He said, you know, obviously you just can't. Be sharing that stuff, right? Because it's too crazy. It's way too crazy. So then he goes on and he says a couple of things that are just profound. He's 28 years old. He says, I was able to play from a position of freedom. And I was able to play from a position of victory, not for victory. From victory, not for victory. I thought, man... I said, Cindy, I need a pen and pad. I got to write this down because, wow, that's a message for the church. We're not, we're not playing. Listen, we're this game of life, these head games. They call it head games. Uh, we're playing from freedom. Now, maybe it doesn't feel like it. But we're playing from victory, not for victory. Wow, what a great word. What a great word for the church. And uh, what a great glory to God. Now, I can guarantee you, I would guarantee you that when he got that vision, that he did not hit the easy button. That young man worked his tail off. He probably worked harder because he had a vision. He worked harder than he probably ever worked in his whole life. He had a vision of what God's going to do. It's not the time to hit the easy button. God, you know, we're in this life, God has... Plan and purpose, and we're here to we're supposed to work six days and rest the seventh, right? I mean, he has things for us to do. And what the enemy meant for evil in Cindy's life and mine, God uses for good. Because Cindy's misery became her ministry. And in those darkest days, I remember that. I, we'd had a blow up about something. I don't even know what it was, but it was like, man, I you know she's miserable. I was almost to the point, it's like Lord, just just take her. She's so miserable that maybe just taking her would be the best thing to do. But I remember thinking that, wow, we're I think we're headed for a divorce. How does this look? And I remember as clear as it was yesterday. I was in my bedroom. I was standing up. I looked up at the ceiling because, well, that's where God is, is up there someplace. And I said, God, I'm really confused because I was convinced that you brought us together. I saw the hand of God in it. I saw the coincidences. I saw the touch points throughout our lives from third grade, seventh grade, twelfth grade, after college. I saw all these things that, and, and I said, I was convinced that you brought us together, and I know you hate divorce, so did, was I wrong? Was I wrong? And I remember in, a, in an instant, the Holy Spirit said, for such a time as this. Whew, wow. So if you're not familiar with that verse, it's in Esther. For such a time as this. I, I didn't need any more explanation I understood that, wow, I was handpicked for this job. I was handpicked to be her husband. I was handpicked for this time. And now it's not just a marriage, it's my ministry. This is my ministry. Now, did I do a good job at it? No. No, I did a horrible job. I, you know, uh, we're all learning together, right? And, but, but it changed my perspective completely. The circumstances were still the same for another year or two probably. But it changed my perspective, and it gave me hope because I understood, okay, God's in control here. This is not just about me. God knew this was coming. Cindy would tell you that probably a lot of what led to this um, were choices made and things that happened. And, and through it, she would also tell you that it was necessary. It was necessary to catapult her into the ministry that she has today. Before depression, she didn't really like women. She didn't. She didn't have good experiences with women. She, uh, she had friends that were women and she had individuals, but in general, she didn't like women. She, she I remember her different times where she worked at a doctor's office, and people come in for medication that were depressed. Some of them were nuns. And she was like, "I don't understand." She was critical, critical of that. Well, I can tell you she's not critical anymore. And, and what, what the devil intended for evil, God used for good. And it took time, it took work, it took patience, it took prayer, it took perseverance, it took a lot of things. But there's hope. Now, she didn't know about Scripture. Maybe if she had known about it, it wouldn't have taken so long. I don't know. But the thing is that God wants us to grow. Every one of us, regardless of where we're at, He wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. He wants to use us. He wants us to be overcomers. He wants us to be healed so that we can help somebody else that has it. And we can have compassion. We need compassion. Listen. What works for one may not work for another, but I believe that if you apply the Scripture and the things that Scripture promises, and you start you start filling your head with the things of God, you can't help but get better. It, it can't be helped. You're going to get better. The Apostle Paul. One one of my concerns is that we. We come up and, and, listen, there are things that only God can heal, and I get that, and I believe in deliverance, I believe in healing, I believe in all that stuff, but my concern is that when it comes to mental health, I really feel like my core value is that God wants us to learn how to live this life, and it's not just, deli- you just don't get delivered from that. You don't get delivered from life. You have to learn how to live this life. You have to learn how to deal with the assaults on your head and, and we can, that's where we can help you and we can pray for you and, and sometimes you need deliverance and we pray for that but we need to learn how to live this life and we're not going to do that Paul and sometimes it's not just deliverance listen Paul the apostle Paul mighty apostle Paul said I have a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan he prayed to God three times to take it away from him and God answered his prayer he said no No, what he said was, it was a lot kinder. My grace is sufficient. And so Paul took that as a positive. For the exceeding amount of grace that that he got from God, this was a reminder to keep him humble. Listen, God doesn't always just take away everything in a moment. We don't always get to push the easy button. John 13, 17 says, if you know, and this is Jesus, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We get educated, we activate. We have to. I, I have learned in my life, I believe everything that God has taught me, trained me, wants for me, requires something from me. It requires me to be a part, even salvation, to free gift, but I still have to receive it. I still have to believe. I still have to take a hold of it. I have to repent. There's some things I have to do. There's always something that God requires of us to do, and it's for our, our good. I want to leave you just for some scriptures. I think the um, worshipers are going to come forward and come up now. We're going to be um, like transitioning, but I want to leave you with just some good scriptures. have to activate people. Get these scriptures in front of you, other scriptures, get in the word, get prayer, get direction. Maybe you need a counselor. You might need counselor. You you might need medication. You might need a doctor. I mean, there's all of these things are, God gives us all of these things to help us walk through, but then the ultimate goal, of course, is that he wants to heal you and there's hope. So in Galatians 5.22, it says, but the fruit of the spirit, listen, we have the spirit in us. And the fruit of that spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Isaiah 26.3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Romans 8, 6, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Ephesians 4, 22 and 23, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit, the spirit of your minds. In 1 Corinthians 16, the, the, the back half of that verse says, But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Amen. We're going to pray. We're going to transition. We're going to have people up here praying. But we're going to, as we pray, if your eyes closed and head bowed, I just, it's really, really important. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, if you've never given your life to Christ, listen—that that's sort where of truth Starts. That's where healing starts. And he, that's where abundant life starts. And that's what he wants for us. And you, what you give up, whatever you think you have to give up, um, it's not worth it to hold on to those things because God has something so much better for you. If you're here today and you would say, that's me, or I just need a renewing of my mind, I need prayer, if you just raise your hand, Wave at me. We're going to pray with you and for you. And if you're here today, this is the moment. Today is the day of salvation. And God is good. God loves you. He cares for you. And in all our failures and all our crazy emotions, he loves you. Father, we are so grateful for the word of God. It has saved my life. It has saved my wife's life. And it saves others. God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will minister, that your Holy Spirit will speak to your people and bring revelation, bring understanding where they're at today. And uh, compassion, God, for others that are struggling have compassion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you.